tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Amnesia, The Heart Attacker, and Treasure in Bedford County. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal, and this is the Reenacted Podcast. And I'm your co-co-host, Robbie. Coco. <laughs> Coco-host. Yeah, I'm feeling a little, uh, a little kerfuffled tonight, Robbie. Um, I, uh, I mentioned to you, uh, before I get into segment one, I think I'd share with you and the listeners that, uh, I, uh, went through some kind of cleanse today and I'm not sure why it happened. I'm not like trying to do that. So oh, Okay, when you said cleanse, I thought you just meant diarrhea. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so segment 1 <laughs> that we uh we are starting off with tonight um it takes place in Woundsocket, Woundsocket, Wound Socket. I, I, wo- wound, I have wind. Wound Wound socket, Rhode Island. I'm sorry if anyone is from New England and and yelling at us right now. I'm, I'm I apologize. Uh, it's it's wind socket or wound socket, Rhode Island. Um, and uh, we're looking at February nineteenth, nineteen eighty-two. Uh, a man comes home. A man named Doug Keith comes home to his apartment building, and he finds his neighbor's three-year-old daughter uh, locked out of her own apartment and the the young young lady says to Doug well you know mommy's laying down in the basement so Doug you know he's obviously concerned three-year-olds just normally aren't hanging out in hallways in apartment buildings or at least they probably shouldn't be and so Doug heads down to the basement and finds a, a total total shit show uh he finds two two women who have been uh, apparently bludgeoned and are unconscious on the floor. Um, so the two women both lived in the apartment complex, and actually one of them, I believe, uh, we're told later in the segment, was uh, packing to move out. She was going to move the next day, so this is just incredible bad luck on her part. Um, one of them was 22-year-old Doreen Picard. Mm-hmm. Um... And the other one was 20-year-old 20 20 uh, Susan Laferte. Did I get that right? That's what I have uh, sketched out phonetically on my uh, piece of paper. So. And um, the, the three-year-old belonged to Susan. And when... Um, so Doug calls, the, calls 911, obviously, and they show up. Uh, Doreen is uh, pronounced DOA. Uh, on the scene and um, Susan Laferte is still, still alive so she's rushed to the hospital um, she's in a coma for some period of time uh, but because she was a witness to the murder they had the uh, wind, wind sock whatever, wind sock Rhode Island uh, police stationed outside of her room just in case the perpetrator decided to come back and finish the job um I'll pause on this horror scene for a moment because there's a cut at this point to uh, Robert Stack. Oh, God, I was so glad. I was hoping <laughs> you would mention 
You're going to um, talk about his suit, right? I was absolutely going to talk about his brown velvet blazer. Uh, well, I'm just glad you did because he wore this in a previous episode and I meant oh, to talk. Oh, he did? But I did. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. Gosh. Uh, I kind of feel that it was something he was wearing uh, either it was like Michigan horse incident mm-hmm. or... Um, you know, uh, Louis, our Oklahoma flaming car incident. Um, yeah, th- this, this is like, you know, this, this is quite possibly the most distracting outfit that I, I, I think you could possibly wear. It's like, uh, it's like when Obama wore that beige suit a couple years ago. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, I, I guess I don't. Uh. Was, well, you never saw it again because of all the blowback. Um, about it was, it was like one shade lighter than a skin tone, and it looked atrocious. And um, that's that's how I feel. I mean, this brown velvet jacket. It's like I don't even think you could go into a store today and and find that sort of thing for sale. Well, in in jacket form, I'm sure you can find the materials on like a couch or something. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was very much like a, a polstered jacket. I wasn't going anywhere with this. I just wanted to talk about his jacket. Now, like he's like standing in a hallway. Do you think that was an authentic hospital hallway? Um, you know, we get so many good backgrounds with him that are usually appropriate to the the case that that the show is discussing so for Mm. example um i think we got him in the woods somewhere when we were talking about michigan gas station incident Um, yeah and so it looks like he's in he's in some kind of like uh old-timey hospital or maybe like a like a courtroom sort of thing it looks like a very like institutional type building um, I, I wouldn't mind doing a little research further down the line and, and find out. Because obviously they're not, like, putting him on a plane to take him to the wound socket uh, hospital just to have yeah. that cut, right? So they're, so they're probably right. using places around L.A. Well, yeah, and what actually makes me even more suspicious, uh, not just, you know, that these are not in the actual locations, but whether these are actually, like, the sort of locations that they're being depicted because I was watching an Unsolved Mysteries DVD months ago when we uh-huh. first talked about doing this show. And there was a few commentaries on some of these segments. And on one of them, he's in this police station. And you find out from the, the director, it's not a police station. It's a funeral home that they've dressed up to look like a police station. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So... Yeah, I mean, admittedly, like, that was, like, a very Victorian-looking police station, so I could buy that. But this now, ever since seeing that segment, every one of these I watch, Mm -hmm. every stack location, I'm eyeing that with, like, immense suspicion. I mean, you know, when he's out in the woods or, or, you know, he's out on a, a dirt road somewhere, I mean... Yeah, those those are probably authentic woods and dirt roads. But any sort of like office setting, especially if it looks like a police station, I don't know. I, I I'm gonna you know uh, I'm gonna feel like uh, in in the episodes to come, I'm gonna have to weigh in on whether it's like police station or empty H and R block building. 
and I think either would be fair, but I think what's more likely is that it's, it's going to be funeral home. It's going to be, you know, we have all these buildings around Southern California, which serve whatever purpose they need to be dressed up as. So in this particular segment, I think you might be right. It might just be some old, uh, government type building that's fallen out of use in Los Angeles. But the thing that sells it on being a hospital is they threw some extra dressed as a sexy nurse in the background. Did you notice that? <laughs> no, that's so, great. I mean, there's really nothing other than like ch- chairs in the, in the hallway to s- suggest it's, you know, a, a hospital hallway, but then they have like a nurse extra. Um, mm. So stack is walking towards the, the camera in his fabulous jacket and, and the sexy nurse like kind of comes around a corner and then leaves down the hallway. Uh, so I, I think you know, it's really an interesting thing of like context clues. Right. And, right. and, and one of the things about doing all these really great reenactments, I think probably what happened is you have the producers and a camera crew go out to speak with uh, the people involved with whatever case it is. And then, you know, Stack's obviously staying somewhere around LA and then shooting all these different cuts Yeah. around to, I mean, the, economically, I mean, I don't know anything about movie making other than I live here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like, well, I would, I would assume, you know, they're yeah, I mean, standard you know, buildings for these things. And if you're going to fly stack out across the country, you're going to have to put them in, like, the top-of-the-line hotel yeah. or, or, you know, depending on these communities, bed and breakfasts. Um, will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? Chance of departure today, 100%. Uh, that, that there's on offer, because... Yeah, you know. we, we're not... To, we're not... You know, they're not going to pay for uh, stack to stay at the Four Seasons wound socket. <laughs> 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 like there's a four seasons in Windsocket. I don't I I'm not I, even sure Rhode Island actually exists. So I <laughs> anyway, we should I should probably move on with Yeah, yeah, with yeah. The case here. Um, the, uh, speaking yeah. of Rhode Island though, um we get these really wonderful uh this old house type accents or or new new Yankee workshop type uh, accents throughout this segment which I thought was really delightful. Um because you don't you don't get a good like New Englander accent very often, you know. I guess I guess I really didn't even pick up on that. Uh, strange. I well, <laughs> um, I I I think I was probably just too distracted by how grisly this particular segment was. Yes, I mean, the fact yes. that like they have to have a and. and not just grisly, but disturbing, because you know they have to put an armed guard on her while she's in the hospital. Yeah. And like when the big reveal happens about what with her memory, in some ways that's like truly frightening. Okay, well I didn't write that part down, so when I get to it, you're gonna have to talk about it because I don't remember what that was. Um, well, that just you know that she has amnesia and she can't remember, you know. The assailant, what the assailant looked like, isn't that like just absolutely creepy? I mean, well, I, I, as I recall, so she comes out of the coma. I, yeah. I guess forgot to mention that she comes out of the coma. She has um, amnesia. When they're interviewing uh, Susan Laferte, she's the one that survived the attack. Uh, they put her, they cast her in shadow so as not to show her actual face. 
which I thought was kind of nuts because we have her voice. The killer knows what she looks like. The killer knows what she looks like. We're hearing her actual voice, I think, and we have her full real name. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think about that one, but you're right. Uh, Uh, So I I realize also this is, you know, it's 1987. People don't have Google. You can't exactly get doxxed (laughs) at this point, but I'm just saying, like, people have phone books. Yeah. Um... So anyhow, uh, so and it's pretty clear from the way that Susan is speaking, um, she's had some disabling injuries from this terrible attack, and she claims that she can't remember uh, the time between like New Year's Day and and then to a couple of days after the attack. So it's not even that she can't just remember the attacker's face; it's like she lost a whole month and a half of her life. Yeah, just totally gone. Doesn't remember anything. Um, so, it's six years later when we're hearing this story, so I guess we're in 1988 at this point. Um, and they're still searching for the perpetrator and the motive. Uh, the only lead that they have is that on the day of the attack, two men came to the door about some puppies for sale. I guess Susan had some puppies she, she, uh, was selling, she was keeping them in the basement. Um, while... Uh, when the men come to visit, Susan's sister is also at her apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a witness who saw the who, who wasn't assaulted, who saw the two men who came to the apartment. Uh, her sister leaves at about 1.45 p.m. Uh, Doug finds the, the bodies of the two women in the basement at 3.20 p.m. So the attack took place sometime probably around, you know, between 2 and 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Um the the officers or the paramedics, I think it was the officers that had responded to the scene were absolutely shocked by like the brutality of the assault um, they found the what they believe was the murder weapon in Susan's apartment uh, it was a large lead pipe and the reason that it was in her apartment is because apparently the attacker had come back from upstairs went to escape through a window in the apartment, locked the door behind him, and that's how Susan's daughter was locked out of her apartment when Doug finally arrived on the scene. Um, so they, so the police assume that Susan's daughter must have saw the attacker because she saw this man come back from the basement and then go through, go into her, her own apartment. But, you know, she's three years old. Yeah, a, a, a three-year-old is not going to give you the most reliable eyewitness I mean, test. most of the time, a three-year-old doesn't even know, like, where their nose is. Let's be yeah, I, actually, I thought the segment did a really good, the reenactment did a really good job of, like, giving a feel for just how little, you know, what it'd be like for a three-year-old. Like, I mean, you get a, 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 a really close-up of the, the, the assailant's uh, mustache. Yeah. And, you know, that, that was pretty much, like, the, the only things that the child could provide was, like, he had a mustache, he had a hat, he, he was wearing jeans. I mean, that's that's all pretty much the most you could ever hope out of a three-year-old. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's not a lot of, that's not enough detail for anything, really. Yeah. Um, so, in the six years since Doreen was attacked and, um, I'm sorry, in the six years since... Doreen Picard was murdered. It was Susan who survived the attack. It was Doreen who was killed. Um, Doreen's family had put out 
I think they had a private investigator or something, and they were trying to follow leads uh, to find out who who the killer was. Uh, several years later, um, after the after the murder, Doreen's family starts getting really weird phone calls, basically saying, "Back off! Stop looking." Yeah, if you're um, if you're concerned for your family safety, you don't want your machine shop to burn down. You better back off. Yeah. So. Anyway, that's where the segment um, that's where the segment ends. But then we get an update. So it's uh, a very brief update, too. Yeah, I, they really slapped it. Slapped it well, in. I'm assuming what it is is like this didn't get solved through unsolved mysteries, so they just pretty much just put what they had to in there so that they wouldn't get phone calls for it. Well, but they, they yeah. didn't have anything to crow about. Um. Yeah, they they certainly didn't. It wasn't because a viewer saw the segment and said, "I I know who you're talking about." Uh, it was I didn't catch the the guy's Raymond first... Tempest. Raymond Tempest was ended up being charged with Dorian's murder, and then he was sentenced to 85 years. But has since been released. Oh, and I missed that. Yeah. It, oh no. Right, and honestly, like uh, seeing that and trying to like calculate like what how long he was in jail I, you know i i'm looking at this you know and it seems to me that this guy may have served less prison time for brutally murdering a woman and like trying to murder another than poor michael martin got for like having stolen some polish sausage and then allegedly robbed someone for $400 uh-huh I, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not meaning to make this into, you know, like uh, a broader political statement, uh, but it's, I don't know, I, I'm starting to get the feeling watching these segments that, like, doesn't it kind of feel like people are being put away for longer periods of time for relatively trivial stuff than the people who are, like, murdering women? Um... I think in this case, actually in a, in, in a lot of cases, the, the sentencing laws state to state vary pretty wi wildly. So in a state like Texas, you might have like a one strike and you're out kind of thing. In Rhode Island, you know, maybe their, their minimum sentencing and parole laws are quite different. And, and since this isn't a federal crime, you know, it's, justice isn't meted out across the board evenly, state to state. Uh, 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 yes. So I'm saying if you want to murder someone... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Make sure you do it in New England. Um, also, I, I, I might I want to float a theory about how they caught the guy because okay. it, it was probably related to the mysterious phone calls that Doreen's family was getting. They probably yeah. they, they traced the number back or something, or somebody overheard this call being made and it led him back to to this guy Tempest. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I guess, uh, yeah, uh, shucks. I, well, yeah, what else did they have to go on? Uh, so, well, I, I think that's pretty awesome if that were the case. I mean, that he actually, like, screwed himself over by... Well, yeah, it's, it's back to our, um, you know, criminals just want to brag. And this is a way of bragging, saying, I know who you are, and I can come back and find you at any time. But, right. you know, his arrogance is probably what led to him getting caught. Yeah, you know, what, and what, what really had me confused was, like, 
uh, earlier when the two men came by to look at puppies. Yeah. And those totally looked like two men who were interested in getting a puppy. Yeah, I think they were just there for puppies. Yeah. Um, well, but, you know, so, yeah, Carol recognized one. Carol being the, uh, the sister of Susan. Yeah. Is that is that how they, they I mean, if she recognized him, presumably they tracked those guys down and figured out they were just there for puppies, right? I. Yeah, I, I, I assume they followed that lead to its... Okay. And didn't so, find so it wasn't even like it wasn't even like people coming in and taking advantage of the ad, the the you know newspaper ads. Uh, it's just well, some. It, it, it may have been right. So you might have some guy lurking around the neighborhood, or he's been slowly stalking these women for some period of time, and this is his in, right? So those two guys leave. Maybe they get a puppy. I don't know. Those yeah. two guys leave. This guy shows up. He knows now that the sister is left. Okay. Okay. I'm just saying. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I was just distracted by, like, the, the narration says that Carol was over to have lunch with Susan. Mm-hmm. And while there were plates on their table, it seemed they were mostly just folding laundry. Um, d- well, when, you know, as you do with your sister, like, she comes over for lunch, you make her do chores, right? I, is it, I, uh, uh, okay, so. <laughs> so how would we rate this reenactment then? I, I, I have three stars written down on my paper, which I assume equates to three stacktons. Yeah, three stack ups. All right. Um, um, any, any reason behind that or? Um, I felt, uh, it, it was a relatively interesting, uh, just segment in general, but I think the. I think the uh, the reenactments, like you had that um, eerie sort of depiction of what the murder may have looked like with the guy in the red and black plaid shirt slowly descending down the um, the steps, you know, with a uh, p- pipe in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the, the depiction of, well, and actually for me, probably the eeriest was right at the very beginning. When they're going down the neighborhood street, they have that ominous music playing, and you know if you, if you missed that this was a, a, an amnesia segment, quote unquote, which I didn't realize that was a category of segments. Um, you know, you like if you missed that, you could have thought that like this was the lead into a ghost uh, segment because it was just so eerie setup. So, I it put me in the right state of mind. I give it a three three. Uh, yeah, I I think it was pretty thorough. Um, I, I can't say that this was entertaining just because of how morbid it was. And also, as a segment, it wasn't very satisfying in that it wasn't Unsolved Mysteries that led to this man's <laughs> arrest. He just, it was probably they just... Did, they don't know. even, like, show a picture of what the guy looks like in the update. They just use no. a still clip of the, you know, from shoulders down assailant depicted in the uh um and and uh, yeah it's uh yeah yeah no I, I this this is this is one where unsolved mysteries did not did not land the knockout punch no i think it was just good police work probably in this case <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess i guess i guess murders get solved that way too <laughs> Fraud. 
Uh, fraud! Exclamation point. Um, all right. So I think this is a this is a good old fashioned sweaty New York City hustler kind of story. Uh, so we're following the escapades of a man named Louis Carlucci. I think that's his last name. That's what I have. Uh, I titled the segment uh, "Louis Carlucci has one good suit." <laughs> Uh, Unsolved Mysteries refers to him as Con Juan, the heart attacker. Uh, So we open with a woman named Barbara. And I'm putting Barbara's in quotes because we never get her full name. Now, hold on a second. You know whose full name we did get was Susan Laferte. (laughs) (laughs) The the person who was legitimately afraid that a man... For her life, yes. For her life, Yes. (laughs) I think Barbara was probably legitimately afraid for her life as well, but we don't get her real name. Her voice is masked. Um, so she's, you know, she's 41 years old. She meets this guy who's a short order cook at a diner that she either works at or frequents. I don't I don't really remember how they met. And well, um, actually, they met, met at a quote-unquote friendship club. Robbie, what's that? <laughs> I tried looking it up on Google in preparation for this episode. Um, I could not find, uh, you know, my 45 seconds of, of research did not really unveil what a friendship club was, except that there is apparently one somewhere in um, uh, Mumbai, India. I mean, I'm assuming these are, like, just things in the 80s that existed for, you know, singles to meet up. I mean, you know. Okay. So it's like a, you know, it's like a, like a meetup, like a. It's, it, I mean, you know, it's, it's in the age before internet dating. So. Yeah. You know, uh, this, this is how people met horrible people, uh, to oh, get. Oh, before Tinder. Okay. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so they meet at a friendship club. Seven weeks later, they were married. Uh, I think they, they really kind of like jump jump right on him. Uh, so there's there's no mistaking that Lewis makes his money uh, from from being a hustler from swindling women. Um, they know uh, when I say they, law enforcement knows that he's had nine different wives um, and thirty children by those women. Uh, and he swindled them collectively out of over $1 million. So police have been looking for this guy for a while. They knew he was out there, and they dubbed him Con Juan, or the heart attacker. Um, so, you know, of course, this is pre-internet. It's not like you can Google your date and figure out if they're wanted or not. And I and I presume Lewis probably wasn't using his real name anyway. Um so when Barbara met him at the friendship club, presumably, <laughs> she thought he had no style, no style, no class, no class. <laughs> no need to ask. He's a but he was very have... warm and friendly. <laughs> you know, right under my quotation, you know, friend for friendship clubs, I have no style, no class in quotations. Yeah. It's yeah. I, 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 I mean, you know, it's it, so I, I was just astounded that like someone that ha- has no style, no class could convince someone to marry them seven weeks later. So I guess that just means there's hope for everyone, right? Yes, Robbie, yeah. you two could hope to marry a <laughs> awful woman who will take all of your money. 
Um, <laughs> and anyhow. As part of a marriage swindle, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that, that those are the only three, three things I have in quotations. I just wanted to shoot them all out. All right. Uh, so they, so I assume because Lewis has no style and no class, they end up getting married. Uh, they have the wedding at the bar that they met at. I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking about like even all the good dates I've been on. Haven't any of them been at a venue where I wanted to get married at them? Uh... Well, honestly, that barbecue restaurant I went to a while back was pretty good. So maybe Ooh, barbecue. Is this in L.A.? Yeah, it's in it's in uh, Pasadena. Well, well, <laughs> Can I give I a sh- shout out to Gus's Barbecue right now in South Pass? As if, a future wedding venue. If you're a manager or owner of Gus's Barbecue, yeah, uh, and you enjoy this podcast, please uh, please, please send us. us. Yeah, we'll, we'll send you uh, we'll send you Robbie's address, and you can you can ship up some. Uh, some fresh hot barbecue <laughs> to Robbie. <laughs> I guess at least the sauce. Um, yeah. Um, what was I talking about? Uh, they were married. They you were, were trying- married at the bar that they bar. met at. That's right. Um, unfortunately, according to Barbara, Lewis changed immediately. He was very abusive and controlling. Um, he basically took control of her finances, uh, maxed out her credit cards, emptied her banking bank account, and basically held her captive for six months. And the and the tale that Barbara tells is is pretty disturbing. Um, like she she wasn't able if they went out to dinner she wasn't able to speak to the wait staff for fear that she would give some kind of clue to the trouble she was in too. So she was completely isolated and cut off from from everyone. Um, and finally. Barbara, after some amount of time, has decided she's had enough. And they do this really uh, sad reenactment of the actress. It's not Barbara. She's not reenacting herself in this case. Uh, The actress, um, like, pulling straight razors or a razor blade out of a a men's razor in the bathroom. Um, Just, anyway, it's terrible. So Barbara wanted to commit suicide. Um, Lewis, uh, left around the same time. Am I saying this right? Is it Louis or Lewis? You know, uh... I don't remember now. I'm sure if they were saying Louis, I would have written that L-O-U-I-E on my notes, but I wrote Louis, so... Okay. Um, if it's easier... It not. If it's easier, you could just call him Con, Con Juan. Con Juan. Uh... <laughs> Con Juan, around the same time that Barbara's feeling suicidal, disappears into thin air after spending uh, $20,000 of Barbara's savings. Well, um, I mean, he walks in, sees her getting ready to, like, kill herself. Yeah. And then just, like, shrugs his shoulders and starts packing. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, other than the part where Barbara lost all her money, that was kind of the best outcome in this situation, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, um, you know, th- this could have ended so much more horribly in terms of, like, a murder or, or whatnot. I mean, the fact that, like, and I don't want I mean, it, I, I can't, I would imagine that, like, for the actual barber in real life, like, watching him just pack up his stuff and leave 
while sort of like crushing that this person didn't even care whether she lived or died, must have been like a tremendous relief. I mean, you know, it just it's just slipping. I mean, ra- rarely ever do these uh, uh, any of these uh, scumbags in these segments just sort of quietly depart. Yeah, I I think I think Lewis Con Juan his game is it's all mental. Um, I don't think he's. They don't make him out to be terribly violent, but he is extremely manipulative. Right. Um, not. I'm not advocating for this asshole. I'm just saying, like, yes, it could have been a lot worse. Um, so after after he takes off, Barbara goes to the police and files charges. Um, so so the police, like I said, had known about him. And with Barbara coming forward and being willing to talk, they started piecing things together where they could possibly go track him down. Um, he was already wanted for bigamy, grand larceny, fraud. I'm not sure if there was something else on top of that. Uh, the detective that they interview for the segment says that he's sure that this guy's running like uh, 10 to 15 women a year, which frankly, who has the time? But if this is your <laughs> entire occupation, okay. Uh, so, so we get an update. We get an update at the end of this uh, that Con One has been caught not once but twice. Twice. They caught him twice. Uh, the first broadcast of this segment um, led to his arrest, and uh, wait, no. Police got a hold of him, and then he escaped or something. I don't. I'm not quite sure what no, happened. No, I, I think I think you were initially right. Like uh, like because unsolved mysteries really seem to be making it to do that like the first guy that because of our show got caught twice because he got the, the segment that segment originally aired yeah something someone called on him and then when he jumped bail or whatever um like they re- re-ran the segment and someone in the rerun saw him and called called in on him so uh, you know, Con Juan, you know, has like double the reason to uh, be cursing Robert Stack's name. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think he he served four years and was released. That's what I have, I have uh, here. So that's that's an update to the update. That's something the producers added later after he was arrested the second time. Um. So in the update, though, we get to see what the real Con Juan <laughs> looks like. Uh, and I was like, holy shit. He, uh, he looked like he had aged about 34 pounds and gained like, you know, 40 years of weight. Um. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and the reason I I describe it in, in that a bizarre way is just because his appearance is so so strange that I, like I was expecting Johnny Depp for all that lead up and that is not no uh-uh. would, would, would you say the man that you saw in the update could be said to have no style or no class uh yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, for for all of for I don't, I don't want to victim blame, and I'm not going to, but no. um, this guy looks like a piece of shit, <laughs> and I just I have to wonder, and and this is something that I think 
speaks to a larger issue with women just not listening to their intuition and finding themselves in these situations. Like, they'll have a gut feeling like this guy has no style and no class, and they'll be right. But then they'll be like, what do I got to lose? And then they'll convince <laughs> themselves that it's a good idea to continue seeing this person. And at that point, he's already, you know, he's got him on the hook. You know, he's probably some kind of sociopath or whatever. I'm, you know, people throw that word around. But to manipulate this amount of people, these amounts of people, uh, into giving up their cash, you, you have to be kind of operating on a different set of rules. So, um yeah, I mean, this this segment, while the update was pretty hilarious, it was just overwhelmingly just kind of sad. Like, It was. I, I mean, like, honestly, just the sights of, like, in the reenactments of Con Juan, like, um, you know, leading by the arm his uh, Barbara around, who who is, like, having to look exactly down on the ground, you know, not tilting her eyes right or left lest she look at someone. Uh, and then like in the restaurant where, you know, she's just meekly eating her soup or whatever it was while he pays for their meal with her credit card. It was, yeah. Sad, sad is, is, is definitely the emotion of this segment. Well, built. I, I hope the greater outcome of airing this segment is that maybe some women looked around at their lives and maybe they weren't getting swindled, but they were like, Hmm, Mm, I don't know. I don't. I don't know about this dude I'm with. You know. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the the greater good. I hope that was served here. But who knows? Anyway. Do you, Do you think Gillette like paid any money for their particular brand of razor blade to be depicted in the suicide contemplation scene? Um. That that just have, that just had to be like unsolved mysteries. Just using that blade because it was the nearest yeah, one. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, you get in where you can with, uh, <laughs> with your brand. So uh. yeah, that sounds like the model for uh, our, our podcast. Um. Get in where you can. Yeah. Uh, so so how would you how would you rate rate this uh, reenactment here? Well, as heartbreaking as it was to see, you know, this this poor woman being like controlled and drained of everything she had by this guy, it was it was very interesting to watch. Uh, it introduced me to the uh, term friendship club. <laughs> um, so I'll just go ahead and give it three stack rods. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two and a half. Two and a half. We're we're allowed to do halves. I... Uh, there's no rules here. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm not. Dis- I'm not disputing that or upset. I'm just. Uh, I just want to be clear. So if if I feel in the future, yeah, if I no, for sure. If you want to do two and point six seven stacks, I mean that's a, as valid as anything else. So so that that would be like uh, everything up to about the buttons on his trench coat. Are you starting from the top or the bottom? Uh, bottom. It's an interesting choice. (laughs) (laughs) Topic of um, women making questionable romantic decisions. Uh, That that leads us into the April 5th, 1986 uh, incident in Wellsville, Pennsylvania. You're missing all the fun. These people are 
they get too cold and then they go sit by the fire and they get warm and then they come back and they sing some more. Where uh, a woman by the name of Diane Broderick, um, who by all accounts was a heavily involved in the community, regularly attending church woman, family uh, with a husband and whatnot, um, disappears at a time that coincides with the escape of a man named John Yacht. Is that what he got? Yacht? Yacht? Yount? Like young, Yout. but with a T? Yount. Yount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that sounds right. I remember he had a strange name. Um, <clears throat> uh, this is, uh, as we will quickly learn uh, as we watch the segment, these two incidents are her disappearance and his escape are connected. Um, Diane apparently was a bank manager who, as part of her effort to give back to the community, wrote letters to prison inmates, which is something I have heard of in the past. Um, I guess I can kind of see what the idea is if you're trying to help aid in the rehabilitation of these guys. Um, I'm not sure exactly what she was hoping to re do to rehabilitate uh, this uh, this gentleman, though, because um, apparently he was a teacher who murdered a former student by the name of Pamela Sue. Oh wow, I wrote that really small. Reiner. Yeah, Pam. Uh, like who is a student who in the reenactment is depicted as like walking along, uh, like literally just a block from her house. And the teacher pulls up, offers her a ride and, you know, pressures her into the car and apparently beats her to death with a wrench. That's horrifying. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's convicted of first degree murder. Um, I guess a friend of, Diane's had been visiting John and when she moved or stopped or whatnot, Diane took over that um, took over that, that duty and apparently fell for John during this time uh, because she kept it up even when like he was transferred to a prison hours away from her house um, <clears throat> I guess the uh, I guess the, one of the guards at the prison <clears throat> clearly observed what was going on because they were kissing and whatnot every time she came in. So uh, this is uh, this is once again uh, a woman. Maybe I don't know if her first intuition was I shouldn't fall in love with this guy, but apparently she did. Did we did we mention she was married? Married, yes. Um, I, yeah, fam uh, I mentioned she, she, uh, she, uh, she was married and had a family too, right? Kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The whole, the whole yeah. thing. And I will say this about her husband, at least like he's the only one who's like not in total denial that she was totally in on this escape. Yeah. Like her mother is just, you know, absolutely refuses to believe that her daughter could have anything to do with this and then there's like a sister too right or a friend mm -hmm. no i think it was her sister sister and you know her sister uh mentioned she was a very moral person 
So she would never do something like that. You know. Which I, I'm sure is like the thing, same thing her sister probably said about Jimmy Swigert. Um, <laughs> or in, you know, any of the TV preachers who. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure her sister's a Bill Cosby apologist too. But I, I really would hope if I did some dumb shit, like help break a guy out of prison. Uh, and they interviewed my mom. I hope my mom would keep it real. I hope my mom would be like, well, that's not how I raised her, but sometimes, you know, people do things. Like, I hope she wouldn't uh, be like, oh, my daughter would never. I hope she would, like, keep it real. Right, yeah. I mean, like, at the least... And not make a damn fool of herself on television. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess if if you're Diane's husband, you're kind of grateful that these fam- these crazy family members are also being interviewed because they make you seem a little bit better by comparison. I mean, he he acknowledges, you know, that she helped him escape. Now, she, you know, he's like, well, you know, maybe she was coerced into doing it or whatnot, which, you know, I, I, I get, you know. He, yeah. It, 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 you know, you, you, uh, you, you gotta hang on to whatever shards you can and um... You know, I mean, so he's kind of more like the old Earth creationist versus the young Earth creationist of her mother and sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it, you know, doesn't deny that the Earth is billions of years old, just says God made it. Yeah. Um, I think I think the husband probably knew, knew a bit more than he was letting on. Because he mentioned oh, specifically perfect. that that he's like, I didn't think anything romantic was going on. But I was like, dude, <laughs> come on. Like, once, it's it's just like, it's simple math. Like, when did the letter start? When did she start visiting this guy? <laughs> and then when did you guys stop having sex? I mean, it's <laughs> it's simple math. I think he kind of knew what was going on. But he doesn't, he doesn't want to look foolish on television. I, I understand where he's coming from. Yeah, yeah. Um... And you know, so when they uh, when they depict uh, the eventual escape that happens, because I guess jo- uh, John was a fairly model inmate. He was helping to teach the other uh, the other killers um, uh, in a classroom setting, uh, and they they were actually allowing him to do agricultural work unsupervised, which I I didn't even realize that was like a thing well not anymore well yeah with good reason and i felt this was actually one of the best parts of the the uh segment was the reenactment of where like they drop them off and then you have like the camera uh on the vehicle driving away as he's just standing there staring at you um you know with with body language that clearly indicates like you know he's waiting until the vehicles you know turns the corners out of sight and then bam he's you know he's gone um now initially people didn't weren't aware that there was uh, a connection between uh, Diane's disappearance and this guy's escape until um they start putting the pieces together Diane was seen driving away from this location and <clears throat> They, they managed to put together the facts that she had some sort of secret bank account that, you know, just before this, she pulled out $7,500. Mm-hmm. Uh, she put a car into a storage unit, I guess, for, like, a, a transfer of getaway vehicles. 
Uh, and like right before this escape, she has like a 45 minute phone call with John. So um, this is all, you know, this all ad seems to add up. Apparently they, uh, if I recall, if my notes are correct, they went to Williamsburg, Virginia. Is that like Colonial Williamsburg or? Uh, well, I don't know if they went to like. Boy, that would have been something though if we got a reenactment of them going to a village that's being reenacted. I I was kind of like, I I, I got a little excited when I heard, heard that. I, I I was hoping that you know we'd see them like interacting with people in uh, uh, 18th century garb, but no such luck. No. Uh, instead, um, you know, the police are trying to figure out what happened. They find uh, they find her ve- vehicle, at least the the first getaway vehicle, uh, and in it there's like her overnight bag um, with you know all of her stuff, plus over a dozen pairs of underwear, which I mean, I think sounds like the right number of pairs of underwear to take on like. A prison escape sort of situation mm-hmm. because you haven't like i mean you're gonna need more than just like two or three pairs because you're not gonna have time to stop and do your laundry but you don't want to overburden yourself with like too much luggage so i feel like 12 is is probably like the right right amount anyway um <laughs> Uh, so, like this, 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 these, these sorts of clues lead the authorities. Like, one of the authorities pretty much is that there's two theories. Um, she helped this guy escape, and he, you know, subsequently killed her so that he his escape could be totally anonymous, uh, without any loose ends, or that they genuinely had some sort of affection for each other. Now, before we get the update. Yeah. What what would you put money on? Which of those scenarios? Um, well, um, you know, the fact that the guy did brutally, brutally murder um, a high school student kind of, you know, would lead me to be thinking that, like, oh, he's just going to, like, this woman's just an, a means to an end. But at the same time, and, you know, this isn't, like... This is also sort of a sociopathic, you know, interpretation that like he's like, well, if she's a willing accomplice, I mean, she she loves me, she you know, going to help me break out of prison. Might be useful to have a second person, you know, to uh, to aid aid him throughout their uh, their various escape stuff. You know, she could be the one that goes and buys groceries while he's hiding out in a cabin or something. Um, <clears throat> so. I think I would have, you know, I would have said that he probably would have let her let her live. Though the fact that she left the overnight bag, uh, yeah, I'd still fall that down on letting her live. Well, as the update reveals, um, Diane, or as she was now known as Kathy Kerman, uh, was alive and well and living with John. Um, viewers in uh, Boise, Idaho, called in. And I guess they, you know, they had been living there. She had been working as a bank teller, if I recall correctly. Um, which, I mean, I guess, you know, it seems like it'd be a lot more difficult to pull something like that off nowadays with the internet. 
Or uh, just, you know, the bank maybe calling her references back to the <laughs> old bank. Uh, oh, don't Finding tr- out she hadn't shown up for work in a very long time. <laughs> well, I mean, can't she just leave that that, that part of her resume off? Um, do they, do they, how, how thoroughly do they investigate this stuff in the 80s? Well, not thoroughly enough because in the early 90s, my own family started a pre-employment background investigation company for employers, so. Really? Oh, yeah. (laughs) We'll have to talk about that after the pod. Yeah, yeah, off mic, we'll talk about that. But yeah, it was not, it was not a thing. And it was because of things like this becoming increasingly important for employers to, to check on potential hires. And yeah, so that's, that was the family business for and is still my mom still does that so to this wow. day yep 25 years later my god um <laughs> so if i admit that i i watched uh, uh, a future episode uh already and uh-huh. i know that like this this is gonna this is gonna come full circle and i'm gonna we're gonna be talking about this again because there's uh there's totally a segment coming up two or three episodes from now that is all about pre-hiring employee background checking. Well, then then I will put a pin in any further details about this sort of industry until we get to that episode. Excellent. I give, <laughs> and we'll come I back to this, this. I give this segment two and a half stacks. Um, from, the, from the bottom up, right? From... From the, toe, uh, from the toes to the second button of his trench coat. To yes, yes, I would say that is uh, that's how I have it pictured. Um, like he, I like um, the reenactment parts. There wasn't really anything that was super interesting, except as I mentioned that just that scene of the uh, car pulling away while he's just standing there watching it, clearly intending to escape. That was sufficiently interesting enough for me to like, you know, put it over that that two two stack um, barrier wall, whatever. How about yourself? There wasn't anything terribly interesting here. Um, the part where he pulls up to the when they do the flashback to the 1960s when he uh, when John entices then murders his then student. Um, that was pretty creepy. Mm-hmm. But uh, that wasn't the main thrust of the segment, so we didn't get too much on on that trial or anything. So yeah, two and a half. Um, this leads us to, I believe this is our first treasure segment coming yeah. up. Hell yeah. Oh, Hell yeah, man. treasure. Yeah. Cowboy gold, baby. Let's yeah, get it. I, 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 I have to say, I'm actually I, I enjoyed this a lot more than I was expecting. I I was going com, coming into this project thinking that the treasure segments were just going to be like about a hair above family reunions in terms of you know my interests being held, but this was really fascinating. Uh, if not if for like the the lore surrounding the treasure itself, as for the um, interesting collection of characters searching for this treasure. Uh, uh, this is this is takes place in I believe Bedford County, Virginia, 
where a individual by the name of Thomas J. Beale is alleged to have buried 5,100 pounds of silver, 2,921 pounds of gold, and uh, as he as he allegedly put it in his uh, um, clue, uh, this this loot as you know that's put in iron pots with covers will be found with no diff was his wording is no difficulty will be had in finding it, which um, I mean merely reinforces my I, I don't know if you want to get into conclusions now, but I, I, I'm assuming that this is just like a gigantic practical joke that someone with like a really interesting sense of humor has, has, has crafted. I'm telling you, I'm as happy as a puppy with two feet. Um, so, um, so when did uh, Thomas Beale allegedly bury his treasure? Well, it goes back to 1821 that he allegedly got all this loot in New Mexico. And, you know, I guess there were, like, Americans in New, New Mexico area in 1821, but it, that kind of seems, like, really westward to be, like, having a full-blown gold mining operation. I don't know, um, but like allegedly, this loot would have be worth twenty one million dollars in today's prices, and by today's we mean nineteen late nineteen eighties. And that he brought this loot back with him to Virginia, and we don't really get any details about further details on this guy. Instead, we jump ahead to like eighteen sixty nine. Um. A wealthy Virginian, no name mentioned, uh, breaks one of apparently three secret codes uh, that Beale allegedly left for locating this treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the this particular code, the, this first code that gets broken, is I kid not found in the Declaration of Independence. So we have a full-blown national treasure uh, situation going on here. That was the Constitution, right? Um, oh, gosh. Was it the Constitution? Uh, well, they've made a lot of those movies, right? I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I assume they're just cycling through, through the various founding documents, the, the Declaration of Independence. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Constitution. Bill of Rights. Yeah, but, uh, maybe maybe the Articles of Confederation get thrown in in there at some point. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like uh, apparently there is a cipher code um, that if you use the Declaration of Independence as a deciphering uh, tool, uh, it tells you, um, you know, it gives you all all these neat hints and 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 uh, riddles about how to find this. Um, uh, this treasure, uh, which apparently, um, <clears throat> well, that 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 leads us to uh, some of our contemporary characters, uh, real life people, uh, the the Tony brothers and Earl Boggs, who are three guys driving around in a pickup ju- truck in Bedford County, digging up holes. You're treasure hunters, aren't you? We're more like treasure protectors. Um, not looking for, not trying to dig up the treasure. Instead, the apparently they they believe they broke one of the ciphers, and I kind of feel that this is where the segment 
kind of lets us down because I, I only have a very loose feeling as to what these three code cipher things are. I mean, one is something that was, like, you can use the Declaration of Independence to decode. One is something that these yokos have um, uh, allegedly deciphered. Um, and like this, this is having them dr- try to drive around to five different points. I guess they dig up each point and it gives them a clue as to where the next point is. Um, like in the, the example they show a real life filming, they, they dig up a hole and there's like some sort of piece of metal rod or, or, or something. And they take it to be pointing in the direction they have to go. Uh, was this a reenactment? Did, 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 did all this happening out there in Bedford County, did all these sake scenes seem to you like just pretty much the Unsolved Mysteries crew following people around recording them? Uh, that was my, my impression. Um, because, yeah. Because at some point during filming, uh, Wilbur Swift had to, had to go back home because <laughs> he ran out of money. So yeah, I think they were. I think they were actually as they were hunting the treasure down, filming this. It was not. It was in fact not a reenactment. Yeah, the but... the only reenactment we get is like five seconds of uh, 1869 Virginia of a guy leaned, leaning over, uh, decipher, you know, doing a national treasure on the uh, Declaration of Independence. Yeah. I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, no, that that leads us to our our second. Um, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Um, treasure seekers, uh, Wilbur Swift, um, who has, has at the time of filming spent an entire year and twenty thousand dollars of his own money <laughs> trying to track down this treasure. I'm, um, you know, so Wilbur Swift was from California. Yeah, and he had left his wife and his job behind. <laughs> Two weeks ago, you boys were worthless as hen shit on a pump handle. Uh, apparently, he was a computer programmer, and he was running algorithms to try and crack the code or determine a location. Um, yeah. You think when he went back to California, his wife was still there? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, w- I was curious how many days it was before he got fired from his job. Um, I, you know, well, later on in the segment, we, we, we have mentioned that I mean, I, I guess he's at least in telephone communication with his wife because she's conveying to him that the neighbors are starting to ask questions about his absence and are, are um, uh, I guess, when the, those that know what he's doing are having a good laugh. But as, as he, as he uh, says, he who laughs last laughs best, um, which will in no way describe the conclusion of this segment as at least as far as he's concerned he they did mention that he was one of the, a computer guy too he was looking for a face and a head in stone and they show the gigantic rock he believes that he's seen this in uh crystal uh did you see a face and head in in, in this giant rock um, i mean other than what was clearly to me some sort of fit fish creature head uh, Robbie, I did not. I didn't see a face or a head in that rock. It, okay. it looked like a rock. Okay. So, yeah, Wilbert Swift is, like, getting the... Uh, he, he's, he gets to work uh, on this rock. Uh, he actually hires a contractor by the name of Ken Dooley, who, for me, is actually kind of the hero of this story. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Ken Dooley. 
<laughs> Ken Dooley's the only one cleaning up on this whole situation. Uh, yeah, he's helped, what, 20, 20 plus people? Yeah, trying 20 to, to like, 25 people. And I, uh, he's, yeah. he hires out his, his great big uh, like caterpillar excavator machine. Just the whimsical way he's talking about, you know, all the different people he's encountered in, in this biz and how that, you know... Uh, as he puts it, like th- they all have the same attributes. They're always convinced that they're just like two feet away from the treasure. Treasure is a myth. I refuse to believe that. So he just needs to, you know, dig like just two feet. No matter how deep they are, it's just two more feet. Um, and like, man, like the size of the hole that Wilbur Swift has had made um, from this rock. This, this looks like you know an aerial photograph of like a meteor having like crashed into Earth and skid along the surface of a planet. Yeah, um, it's it's quite large. It's also quite deep. I think they said it was about twenty five feet deep. Yeah. When when they had when Wilbur ran out of money. Yeah, I mean, and that doesn't even like, but that the figure doesn't even convey like you really have to, like those of you who for some reason are listening have to like track down the segment and watch it because like it does not just look like a 20 i mean you you hear 25 foot deep hole you're like oh okay it's all no i mean like he like he has been going to town on this thing um and you know it's i mean it's funny like ken dooley's not the only one who's laughing like they 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 inter- at one point they just interview like a bunch of random town folk yeah they like head head down to the elks lodge the Elks Lodge, yeah, yeah. That, 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 you know, if this is not taking place at an Elks Lodge, it is, yeah, or, or, you know, consists of people from an Elks Lodge. It has to be whatever the, the equivalent is for this community. You know, they get so much amusement out of this. I mean, but, you know, not just amusement, but, like, almost a sense of superiority. You know, it's like, sure, the coal mine, you know, closed down. And the underwear factory moved out of town. And, you know, whatever ails may be... If, I, I, I'm just kidding on that. I have no idea if there's coal or underwear factories in Bedford. But whatever whatever ails their community might be facing, at the very least, no one in their town is stupid enough to be, like, spending years of their life and their entire fortune digging holes in the ground looking for treasure. Um you know, and this, uh, and you know, there, there, there's, there's, there's more people like in on this. You know, the Templars and the Freemasons believed that the treasure was too great for any one man to have. Like uh, Carl Hammond, who has spent 30 years trying to decrack this, and I was just fascinated by like, I mean, he's using computers to run algorithms, uh, right? And apparently, all, all that all that really establishes is that it's like there's a legitimate set of cryptographic numbers in the ciphers. Um, but like, did you know Like, did you thought think it was strange that like he starts out in a dark room with a candle poured over the Constitution, and then the lights go on and he's inside like a computer fact like development place 
you know, it, it, it was strange. I mean, I, they, they say that he's trying to recreate the conditions that the ciphers were written in. Is that really even necessary? No. Well, I guess when, after you've spent 30 years, you, you, you start trying all possible angles. I, uh, I, this, this, <laughs> you know, this segment, um, is a, it's a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary tale. It's also, it's a real hoot. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I think the theme of this episode now that we've, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask for a stack rating on this because it wasn't really a reenactment. It was actually happening. Okay. That's fair. It. Uh, I immensely f- enjoyed it though. Like, I mean, the, the, this is something that like, oh, yeah. would, yeah. I mean, if, if, uh, it, is... it gets four Ken Dooley vehicle <laughs> heavy machinery digging into holes for credulous people. We got the 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 our our own personal unsolved mystery to discuss, though, we, right? We do, and I I, I want to give some background information on on why I brought it up this week to discuss um, our own. It's not even a personal unsolved mystery, but it's something that was in the news this week. And I don't know when people are going to listen to this, so it might not be as timely. Um, But there's for about, I want to say, I think it was since the 1960s, there's been a book in the possession of a library at Yale University. And it's it's a book from medieval times. It's called the Voynich Manuscript. It's named after the book collector who donated, whose wife, actually, his uh, widow, donated this mysterious uh, leather-bound manuscript to this library at Yale. Um, one of the reasons that it's been so puzzling to anybody who's who's tried to decipher it is it's written in a language that's, or a code that's completely unknown. No one's seen it before. Um, the reason that it, and it also has a bunch of like very bizarre drawings of uh, sort of like half animal, half human female. <laughs> Sorry, human female sounds strange, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, uh, I, I'd I'd say, um, say using the term human female is probably helpful uh, in this uh, context. Yeah, well, there, it's. Um, it's a it's a very mis- mysterious in origin as well. Uh, so we don't know who wrote it. Um, we have some very sketchy history on uh, previous owners of the book, and I invite anybody who's interested in this to. There's a lot of information available about the Voynich manuscript out there. Um, so this the reason I wanted to talk about it this week is because someone allegedly decoded it. Mm. Um, it was. Uh, I I don't want to mention his name because <laughs> a I don't remember it and b um because of the you know we had some news early in the week on on this thing being decoded and the press picked it up and ran with it um, by the end of the week his his decoding had been completely debunked it, he wasn't able to uh, decipher consistently things throughout the manuscript but one of the suggestions or the suggestion that the guy who allegedly decoded the thing said it was a very early version of a women's health manual 
because of all the drawings, because uh, things seem to be abbreviations in Latin, the same way you medical uh, texts would have been written at the time, the same way that a lot of medical uh, instructions are written now. There's still a lot of uh, Latin left over. For example, if um, someone says, you know, I need this medicine stat, stat is short for statum, I believe, which is Latin for quickly or hurry. Um, so anyway, I just, Robbie, I, I, I sent you the article early this earlier this week about uh, the Voynich Manuscript, and I was wondering if you had any theories about what this book possibly could be. Oh, yeah, I, I read that article, did some basic research, uh, uh, you know, by which I mean 45 seconds on Google, and then I, I started, like, just doing a Google image search just to look at the pictures of this book. And it seems like there's a lot of pictures of plants. Like, a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at first, to me, this like like just caused me to roll my eyes because I, I really am not interested in gardening. Uh, but then there's, like, pictures of women, you know, who are part plant, part woman. Women... Um, conjoined with plants women um women in sexual congress with plants plants yeah i was actually gonna ask how how old would you say plant on woman like pornography is well it's at least it's as old as this manuscript i mean i didn't want to like make our, our podcast totally lowbrow but um you know, I'm sure that, like... I'll, you can... I'll remind you, we started this with talking about diarrhea. So <laughs> just go right ahead. Yeah, yeah, I know. I guess you're right there. Um, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that if you just go on the internet and look up for, like, you know, drawings people have done, like, if you type in plant on woman or, or whatnot, or something to that effect, you'll get, like, contemporary images that are not too dissimilar from this. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, admittedly, that's just, that's just, you know, that's not what I would honestly guess what this is. I mean, a medical, medical, medical textbook I could see because those are medical textbooks at, at the time that this was written. They're all really weird. I mean, there's still, some of them are still going with that idea that like a woman's womb like migrates throughout her entire body. So mine does. Does that help with temperature control? Yeah, I mean, when it gets cold, I put it in my armpit to keep it warm. Yeah, I honestly, after everything I read this week, I don't have a damn clue. <laughs> I really, I have no, I, I have an opinion about everything, and this is not something I have an opinion on. I think it's, uh, if anything, it stands alone as a mysterious, intriguing work of art. Um, but, but other than that, it's... Uh, so, it, it, it's plant pornography. Um... That's, that's as good an explanation as anything else, honestly. All right. So I was, you know, if anyone's listening to this um, and they have a theory about what the Voynich Manuscript is, I would invite them to send us a tweet at reenactedpod. There's an at sign, then reenactedpod. And if you um, want to tell us to knock it off and stop making this damn thing, that's the same address. Uh, just tweet at us. And so, Robbie, do you have anything? have anything else? This episode three of Unsolved Mysteries. Um, well, you know, uh, I think I was gonna, 
um, complain about the lack of continuity in terms of the format of the show. You know, but I feel our like show, our show or unsolved mysteries. No, unsolved mysteries. Okay. Um, you know, I, I kind of just feel like they um, so far. You know, we've had like three different types of intros, and I actually know that there's more different coming up. And we actually we also have a, a an episode coming up with only three segments in it. Well, if you if you uh, enjoy this podcast, um, you know that's like the fifth time you've said that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, like I if uh, I don't know if if you want to send me a book about this um, this this ancient this this old book about women uh, banging plants, uh, you know, I, I I I can always throw that in my library. All right. Well, on that note. I'm going to wrap it up. Um, we'll, see you, we'll see you next week for another riveting episode of Unsolved Mysteries. 